Yeah, happy Mum's Day. Nice. To all the mothers. And if you're from Australia, it's Mum. M-U-M, Mum. Come on, Mum. Yeah, happy Mother's Day. It's great. Happy Mother's Day, Sandy, back in Australia. Monday there. It's awesome. Cool fact about my mum was she grew up in Sydney in the rock and roll scene and her buddy was dating Bon Scott, which was pretty cool. So she got to like, some of you are just like, oh, who's that? ACDC. Remember Akadaka? <laughs> anyway, that's a cool fact about my mum. I just thought I'd share with you. Like she used to hang out in Sydney when they were just like a no-name band cruising around. So go mum. She's a legend. <laughs> but also thank you for bringing up my childhood trauma, bro, with wooden spoon analogies because... Uh, Okay, mum, love ya. Just glad to be with you today. Um, we're going to have a great service today. We've got some testimonies to share. Do you guys like hearing stories? I feel like that's, it's powerful as we hear testimonies because I think that like, it gives us a sense of how we together discern what God's doing through the power of the Spirit at work in people's life in season. So today you'll have a chance to hear a little bit about, um, yeah, just some testimonies from some students who have been taking a very rigorous eight-ish month journey of discipleship school. Uh, and I just want to encourage you guys, like we have a church who's really committed to discipleship, and I'm, I don't just say that flippantly. We have a church that is really, um, has made decisions around looking into building discipleship as part of what it means for us to be a people here, not just consumers of church. And that's a huge distinction. Um, and this church has designed itself around making disciples. And I've been really honored and blessed um, over these last eight months, to be given really the power and the trust um, from Pastor Greg and the leadership to lead this discipleship school uh, in my capacity as an employee of Fusion Canada in partnership with the church. We've been running a discipleship school here every Wednesday night from 6 till 9 p.m. since September last year, and every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. We've been gathering, 26 students have gathered in a regular rhythm every single week, being shaped and formed. Um, by life in community, by the Word of God, by the Spirit of God, and by the love of God. And there's been a really a profound journey. And so yesterday we graduated with a barbecue and celebrated the students. And today I was invited to come and just share a little bit, some thoughts around discipleship and have you guys uh, hear some really powerful testimonies. So you ready? Ready to rock and roll? I wanted to share today really simply like some four dimensions. And I'm not saying this is like step one, step two, step three, four, just some dimensions of what it means to be disciples of Jesus Christ. Who here has seen Toy Story? The first original Toy Story. Put your hand up. Yeah, many of you have. If you haven't, I'm sorry, you won't know what I'm talking about right now. But first fact, that was made in 95, released in 95. Does that make you feel old yet or what? 1995. So I was watching that with the kids the other day, and we're just having a bit of a laugh watching Toy Story. And there's this really cool moment, and I thought it was such a cool metaphor in discipleship. And so, so if you don't know the story, if you do, you'll know what I'm talking about. But if you don't, I'll just give you a quick snapshot. There's this toy called Buzz Lightyear, okay? Buzz Lightyear is a space toy. He's a cool toy. He's got, like, all the bells and whistles, retractable, like, wings. He's got these button things that, like, flash, and, like, it's, he's a cool toy, right? And he comes into the context of Andy's room. Now, Andy has a favorite toy, Woody. Woody's an old cowboy. He's got a pull string. There's a snake in my boots. Remember the, remember the old thing? Yeah. He's an older toy, well-loved, well-used, and there's this flashy new toy shows up, and Woody is jealous. And this guy, Buzz Lightyear, legitimately thinks he's a space ranger. He doesn't know he's a toy. 
So he's living his whole life as though he's here to save the world. Every action he does, he thinks his laser is real. He can't breathe in the air. He's here to save the world. Reconnect with Star Command. Long story short, some stuff takes place, which means that Woody, this cowboy doll, this old doll, and Buzz Lightyear end up in the neighbor's house. Now, the neighbor's a little sadistic. This little kid loves to rip apart toys, blow them up swap their heads, do all kinds of crazy stuff like that. So it's a terrifying place for Buzz and Woody to find themselves. There's this moment where the door is left open where they try and escape, and Woody comes running down the stairs. Do you guys remember? He comes running down the stairs, he sees the dog sleeping, and he's terrified. And then he sneaks back upstairs, and then his pull string gets caught. Remember? And there's a snake in my boots. And then the dog's eyes wake up. This is an intense moment. The dog comes running up the stairs. Buzz and Woody separate. Buzz goes into one room, Woody into another. And then the camera shows this scene where Buzz Lightyear, the space toy, this guy who thinks he's like this space ranger saving the world, comes into this dark room, and Dad of the house is sleeping on the couch, and there's a TV on. So it's a dark room with a TV on, and Buzz is standing there. The dog leaves because realizes he's not going to do anything. And then all of a sudden, an ad comes on the TV. Come in, Buzz Lightyear, calling Buzz Lightyear. And Buzz is like, Star Command. And he thinks it's like this, finally, I've connected. And all of a sudden, this heavy metal music kicks in. And it's an advertisement for the Buzz Lightyear doll. And Buzz Lightyear is just starting to walk towards the TV. And the camera's talking about all these flashy things and these buttons that work. And, and then on the bottom, it says, not a flying toy. And, and Buzz's whole life was built on this premise that he was this flying toy with all the bells and whistles, and he was in control, and he was here to save the day, and he was living his whole life from an illusion. And he has this disillusioning moment, and he goes into this intensely great depression when he realizes that he had built his whole life on a fake story. It wasn't real. There was no truth to the life he was living. And he reaches disillusionment. Can I ask you, church, who here has ever been disillusioned in life? Tell me I'm not the only one that has been disillusioned. Well, I'm here to tell you today, and I know I've said it before, but I think disillusionment, when done well, can be okay. Because what it means is you have illusions that need to be dissed. This was why Woody, Buzz, sorry, was disillusioned, because his life was an illusion. He thought he was in control. He thought he was here to save the world. He had a whole story he was living from, and he was confronted with that, and he was all of a sudden left broken. Have you ever been broken before? Found yourself, the life you've been living from, all of a sudden you're confronted with the reality that maybe there's more to it than that. Maybe how I've been living and what I've been building my life on isn't actually real. What is reality is the question that it raises. This is a profound moment for buzz. It's a metaphor. It's, it's not real. It's a story. It's, a, it's an animated story. But can you see the metaphor? Can you see that this guy was building his life on something and all of a sudden he's confronted that it's not real? I remember when I first got saved, I was almost 21 years old and I had been living the life I wanted to live. I was in control. I had it all together. I had my money. I had my car. I had my girlfriend. I had the house. I had it all and I was good. I was in control, and all of a sudden, it all came crashing down. Because I was so down in the dumps, I came to a moment where I realized, if this is the direction of my life, there's got to be more. It was very Ecclesiastes-esque. If you've ever read the book of Ecclesiastes, 
You're going to hear of a man who struggles with having it all and saying it's all vapor. Meaningless. There is no life or fruit in this. I know it's so funny. <laughs> it is a funny, funny truth. It's like the nervous laugh of like, <laughs> yeah, oh my God. <laughs> Disillusionment. Wow. I remember reaching that moment where I all of a sudden was confronted with the fact that I was building my life on a house of sand. Now, some of us get there quick. Some of us are still working that out, and some of us won't get there until we've taken our last breaths, and even then, some will still fight it. To be the center, to be in control, to think that we are in charge of our own lives. I remember reaching that moment, and I remember putting my hand up in church one Sunday, had no idea what was going on, and I remember God met me in that moment. My heart was full of my own desires. I loved what I wanted to love. And all of a sudden, I reached a moment of disillusionment. But I want to let you know something really powerful. And this is the first dimension I want to talk about discipleship. The first dimension of discipleship is that when you encounter the love of God, it comes and changes your life. It disrupts everything for you. When you reach that moment of brokenness and disillusionment, how many of you know that's the exact place that God comes and meets you? When you finally let go of control and you realize that you've been living an illusion, you've been living a life that is not actually real, you are left with two choices, to live, to keep trying to build that life and be in control, or allow God's love to come and change your life. I didn't know I was blind until I began to see. It's a profound truth. You don't know, you can't see until you finally see, and then you're open to a new reality of truth. And that's what God's love comes and does, doesn't it? It comes into that, that place, that moment, that, that little point of time and space where you are all of a sudden disillusioned. God meets you with His love. It's like being colorblind and, and putting on those colorblind glasses and all of a sudden color is vibrant. You can see it differently. It's sharper. This is where discipleship begins, church. This is where true discipleship begins. It's not intellectual. It's not, uh, intellect is good, but it's, it's, it's about this reality of being met by the love of God and being transformed and being changed and having new desires, a new focus, a new vision for your life where you were once building on something else, God comes and gives you a brand new vision for your life. And that's the force of His love. This is where discipleship starts. I love Buzz's journey because he actually goes on, becomes a new toy, embraces who he is, and finds a new life. And it's awesome. I began a journey of discovery, learning a new di uh, identity. I was in darkness, and then I moved into the light. <laughs> From one reality to a new reality. Why? Because God's love met me in my disillusionment. God's love met me in my brokenness. And He came and filled my life up. One of my favorite verses, Romans 5. Listen to this. Sink your teeth into this gem of theology. Therefore, since you've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through Jesus Christ. Through whom we have gained access by faith into a grace that we now stand. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, we glory in our sufferings because we know suffering produces perseverance, character, hope. Hope doesn't put us to shame. Listen to this and church, say it with me. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. 
God's love is not a cheesy sentiment. It is a reality of God's force coming into the place that we choose from and changing it all. The container of our loves, the container of our will and emotion. God comes where we have loved that which isn't God and lived an illusion. God meets us and then he gives us the gift of his desires. He changes it all and you can't do anything to earn it. Freely given by the grace and power of God through his Holy Spirit. He gives you his love. This all changes your life. We become human again. We become centered on God again. St. Augustine, I know I've quoted this a million times, but why would I try and say it any different? St. Augustine, an African man, loved him, lived, he was a bishop in the 300s, and he wrote this profound gem, great are you, O Lord, exceedingly worthy of praise, your power is immense, your wisdom beyond reckoning, so we men who are due part of your creation long to praise you. How many of you know that every human being on the face of this earth is a worshiper? You love things. Everyone is. The question becomes, what is it that we worship? That's the fundamental question of discipleship. And it begins when God, His love meets us in the place of where we love and centers us on our right love, which is God. We're all worship. We all long to praise But we also carry our mortality with us. We carry the evidence of our sin, he says. And with it, proof that God thwarts the proud. You arouse us. I love that language. You arouse us, God, so that praising you may bring us joy. What a trade-off. Think God is this big monster in heaven that demands your worship? No, he just knows that when you have his love, you will be good. You will be joyful. You will have peace. You will be right you'll be at shalom. Because you have made us and drawn us to yourself and our heart is restless until our heart is found in you. The place that we love, longing, looking, searching, building our life is restless and you will continue to be restless till the day you die until you reach that moment of brokenness and allow God's love to come and change you. It's not a sentiment, it's a force, it's real, it's poured out freely by God to meet you in this reality. You will be a right worshiper and you will have joy and you will have peace and you will overcome because of God's love. We were once controlled by sin, sin, we were blind, we didn't even see, we were building our life on an identity and our own strength. God comes and sorts it out. Romans 8 says, in all these, you know what, read it, is it up there? Read it with me, church, let's participate. Romans 8, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who? He loved us. He gives us his love. We become conquerors of the old way and we walk in newness of life because God loves us. Kirk's going to come up to the stage now and introduce you to our first participant. Kirk has taken the journey of discipleship with us and I asked him the question, you know, Kirk, can you give us a snapshot of what your life was like and how God's love has transformed you. So let's welcome Kirk. Give him a round of applause. Kirk is one of our students. Thanks, buddy. How do I follow that? I mean, really, right? You start yelling. Start That's yelling. all I do. I just Yell and bounce around a lot, I guess. Like, right? <laughs> um, so <laughs> for me, I was an atheist for a lot of years. Um, I didn't come to Christ until I was in my, my 40s. And I know I don't look 40, thank you. But... Um, <laughs> So I, I lived a lot of my life 
not just, not just an atheist, but like a staunch, argumentative atheist. My lovely mother-in-law, father-in-law, and my wife are here in the crowd, and they've been Christians their entire lives. And my mother-in-law is a gem. Her name's Karen. Don't hold that against her. Um, <laughs> I love you, Mom. Happy Mother's Day. Um, people I revered. They were intelligent, smart, caring people, and I couldn't understand how they were so dumb. You know, like, you, you worship what? Really? Invisible guy in the sky who's going to smack you if you don't do what you're told? Really? Come on. Really? Come on. Why? I didn't get it. Didn't get it at all. Until one day I did. February 20th, 2019, my life was a shambles. I'd driven my wife away. She'd, she'd left me and taken my kids because I lived the lifestyle like Maddie, you know, wine, women, and song. And believe it or not, dating after you're married is highly frowned upon. Don't do that. Okay, so, but I didn't care. I didn't care at all. I was more concerned with how I felt in the moment, how I wanted, what I wanted, and I, what I wanted and when I wanted it, and, and, and that was more important to me than anything else. I was so focused on myself, incurvitis, or incurvitis say, as Pastor Greg would say, I was so focused on myself, I didn't care who I hurt in the process. So I was sitting on my bed, mine and my wife's bed. My wife had been gone for a couple days, flat out was not coming back. I wasn't going to see my kids again, and I hit rock bottom. I was contemplating suicide. I wasn't just contemplating suicide. I was planning my suicide. I know there's some kids in the room, so I'll try to keep it PG. Um, I was actually thinking about how I would reinforce one of the walls in our house so I didn't damage the house we lived in. And I remembered a text that I got from my wife who told me flat out, you're never going to be happy because you don't know Jesus. You don't know God. And at the time, I was like, wow, that's, wow, okay. And I thought, you know what? If I'm going to meet him in a couple minutes, I might as well say hi. <laughs> so I got down on my knees. And I said, God, I don't know if you're hearing me. I don't know if you're listening. I don't even know if you're real. But I've made a mess of things like nobody's business. I can't do this anymore. I'm done. And if you'll have me, I'm here. Mind, body, and soul, I am yours. Please enter into my life and fix the brokenness I feel in my heart. I've been, my whole life, I've been trying to fill that void deep in my heart and in my soul that can only be brought through the love of Christ, the love of God. And like the cross on the wall over there, I was made whole in that very moment. All the broken pieces were squeezed together with the love of Christ, and I became a new man. I became a new person after my prayer. And I knew no matter what, everything was going to be okay. Now, thank the Lord, bless the Lord, my lovely wife forgave me. And we're st still together. She's yeah. here in the audience Come with on. me today. I love you. Something I failed to mention the first service, and there's a lot of concern about my well-being. <laughs> <laughs> but a couple of people come up after, are you okay? Is your, what, what happened? Or, do you see your kids? Yeah, unfortunately, every day. I mean, yes, I love them very much. <laughs> I love them too, I swear. So that's, that's my journey. That's a snapshot of my journey. So look, I know you mentioned it, but how has God's love actually changed you? Since? Man. Well, through our discipleship journey, we had a bunch of guest speakers come in, and, and we were uh, blessed enough that Pastor Greg actually came in and talked with us about uh, the DISC personality test. Has, has anyone here ever done the DISC personality test? Okay. Well, I was a gigantic D. Okay. In every sense of the word. I, again, a narcissist. I cared about myself. I cared about what I wanted in life. I didn't care how it hurt my wife. I didn't care how it hurt my kids, how it hurt my career. I didn't, didn't care at all. I was more concerned about my well-being 
my happiness, I was so focused on being of the world instead of just in it. One thing I've realized along my journey is we're not earthly beings having spiritual experiences. We're spiritual beings having an earthly experience, okay? This earth is dying, and we're going to leave it behind, and we're going to be together with Jesus in eternity. And that's something that we really have to remember. Awesome, buddy. And how'd you get involved in discipleship school, mate? Well, that's um, no word of a lie, Maddie, the voice of God, mm. really. Um, my wife and I had talked about me coming to DS. After I became a Christian, I was thirsty, just like Maddie. I bought a Bible. I bought Lee Strobel's book, or it was given to me, Lee Strobel's book, Case for Christ. And I don't know, a lot of you know this, I'm a police officer. Don't hold it against me, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> But I bought this book, and it's evidence-based. You know, this Lee Strobel set out to prove God wrong. Pro God doesn't exist. And he went out of, this, like, out of his way to try to prove God didn't exist to save his wife from the Christian cult that she was involved in. And in doing so, he changed his own life. He journeyed through this journey, and he, he discovered Christ was real. The evidence, all the evidence out there pointed to nothing but Christ's existence. And he became a Christian himself. So I read through this book, and it profound change. So when the opportunity for DS came up, Pastor Peter was talking about it. We'd heard Pastor Greg talk about it here in church. And I was like, wow, yeah, it'd be great. It'd be great to go. But we just bought a house. We were doing a renovation at the house. You know, the ones that started as, let's just renovate the bathroom. And now I'm tearing down the walls in the basement. And the whole, whole place is a shambles. And I'm like, well, we, we really just can't afford it. You know, that's, we, could, we could use that money to put in new fixtures, new lighting, new whatever. And, and I really couldn't put my needs, my wants ahead of what my family needed, our, our home. We were sitting here in church, and Pastor Greg had announced, you know, DS is starting, like, next week or the week after, and Michelle went quiet. And for those of you who know her, that's difficult. <laughs> but she went quiet. And, um, oh, happy, <laughs> happy Mother's, Mother's Day, Day. Michelle. I love you. <laughs> Glad I told him to come up yeah. here. Yeah. Who gave that idiot a mic? Um, so she went quiet, and on the way home, she said, Kirk, have you, what do you think about discipleship school? And I said, well, I'd love to go, but we can't, we can't afford that. I can't, I can't make that time, time commitment and financial commitment. And she's like, no, no, no. God spoke to me in, in church today. You have to go. You have to go. Okay, so part, of my, part of my employment, when we move around, we get a bonus for moving. And when I transferred here, we had a rent, rental house, and we had just sold our home. And uh, when we bought our new place, there was a whole bunch of bonuses that come my way, you know, real estate payments and, and whatnot, and, you know, work for the federal government. It's a good idea. Um, and... Michelle here in, in church, right here, right actually where Rachel's sitting right now. You're welcome. Um, she heard God's voice. I delayed that money coming to you so you could buy the membership for discipleship school. Kirk needs to go to discipleship school. He has to go to discipleship school. And she told me this on the way home, tears in her eyes. Called her mother-in-law, which is the ultimate test. You know, called my mother-in-law and, what do you think we're going to spend this money on Kirk going to discipleship school? And Mima said, sure, that's, that's a great idea. What? <laughs> Going to give that idiot the mic again. That's, I love you guys. But that was my journey. Awesome, buddy. Thanks for sharing today, mate. Let's give him a round of applause. Isn't that a cool testimony? Thanks, buddy. Isn't that a great testimony, amen? So the first dimension is this idea of God's love changing your life, man. And here in this church, we just say celebrating Jesus in every area of our life is that reality. Because God's love comes and changes you. How many of you know you have a different vision for your life? When you are connected to God, you can go from atheist contemplating suicide to uh, coming to church 
and following after the way of Christ. That's how drastic the shift can be when you come into contact with God's love. It is more than a mind thing, it's a heart shift. And celebrating Jesus in every area of your life is a dimension of discipleship that names that we are having a vision for God in our life. And how many of you know when that happens, the second dimension can kick in as well? That we become lovers of His Word. I remember when I got saved, man, I was 21, like I said, I got home that night terrified that I'd become a Christian. Literally terrified. What? I was Buzz Lightyear, like, I'm Mrs. Nesbitt. I was like, I'm a Christian. Like, what is this? And I called my boss and said, mate, I'm not coming into work this week. He's this hardcore Scottish guy. I was a fourth-year plumbing apprentice, and I didn't want to tell him I became a Christian, so I just sort of just said, oh, I just need some time off. And he gave me a week off. But the very next day, all of a sudden, I had new desires. Because the day before, I wasn't desiring these things. I'm going to let you know that very clearly. All of a sudden, all I wanted to do is know, what was the story I'm now a part of? Somehow, something's shifted. Now, I, I belong to this cosmic drama that's unfolding where God is in control. I'm no longer the center of the universe. I'm part of something that I can put my hope and trust in. I remember when I bought this little red uh, NIV Bi- ESV Bible, and it was this little hardcover thing, and I just began to read and, and, and process and think and begin to dig in, not to just know right from wrong, but to know what it is that I am a part of now. It was a profound shift in what I desired. John 8, 32, Jesus says, you will know the truth, and what? It'll set you free because all of a sudden you're hungering and thirsting for what truth is all about because you were living in an illusion and now you're like, how do we get going with what God says to be right and good and noble and true? And you begin to find yourself immersed in a grand meta-narrative. Our world does not like meta-narratives because we are the center. All of a sudden we're part of this unfolding cosmic drama where God is at work. I began to read. How many of you know you have a thirst for God's word, a hunger for God's word, and you begin to press into that reality? First Peter 2 verse 2, he speaks to a marginalized group of people, a body who are like trying to work out how to be in the world, and he says, like newborn babies crave, what? so that you may grow up into your salvation. You've been saved, and there's this hunger to know the truth of what God says. There's this hunger for His Word. There's this hunger for the story, and you begin to mature and grow up. You don't stay where you were. You've been reborn, and now you go on a new journey of maturity. Acts 2, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to breaking of bread and prayer. Psalm 119, blessed are those whose ways are blameless who walk according to the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep His statutes and keep them where? Come on. They do no wrong, but follow His ways. You have laid down precepts that are fully obeyed. Who here has heard of William Tyndale before? William Tyndale, what a hero of the faith. In the 16th century, um, the only word of God, written word of God, was in Latin. And only select few could actually have access to it. He, there was, he, he wanted everyone to know about the cosmic drama we're a part of. He wanted everyone to know about Jesus, everyone to know about God. So like a drug dealer, he had to leave the country and smuggle Bibles into England so that people could actually have this thing that I have like 17 of them laying around my house. So desperate was he, had a hunger and a thirst for the Word of God, that like a, a drug smuggler, he was smuggling Bibles in until he got caught, arrested, persecuted, strangled, and burned. Because he wanted everyone to have the Bible in English. What about Mary Jones? You ever heard of Mary Jones before? 
Mary Jones, this young girl in the 18th century, saved for over six years to buy a Bible. She was the daughter of a poor weaver in Wales. She became a Christian at the age of eight and was so desperate to own her own Bible copy that there was only one copy housed in a farmhouse two miles away. So she saved every bit of money until she was 15. She set out for the 25-mile walk barefoot. I know I'm not exaggerating. This is not like your parents telling you how they went to school. This is real. She walked barefoot across rugged terrain, 25 miles, and after all those years with her money, she went and bought her very own Bible. And to this day, it's housed in Cambridge University. You can see Mary Jones's Bible that she bought for the first time. Thomas Charles was the owner of that, and he was so moved by her desire to have the Word of God in her hand that he established the British Society to distribute Bibles worldwide. Young Mary Jones, what faith, hey? How many of you know that when God's loved, yeah, you can, like, why not? I mean, that's powerful, right? How many of you know that God's love comes into your heart, you have different desires, and all of a sudden you desire truth. You desire to know what God is doing and where He's at work in the world and join in with Him. And so we have this written Word of God that is a treasure to us. It is precious. But how many of you know we also have a spirit that God has given us to know truth? The Bible says in Romans, the Spirit Himself testifies to our spirit about who we are, that we are God's children, the Word says. We have this written Word to learn and to know the story. We've also been given the Spirit to speak about the Word, who is Jesus, to know what He said, to know what He did, and we can know who we are in our new identity because of the Spirit of God. God's Word encourages, exhorts, reminds us what we're a part of. He gives us His Spirit to remind us of what Jesus said and that we are new creations. We have His Word and His Spirit to access grace, forgiveness, His counsel, His truth. We're not just individuals meaninglessly walking around on this earth. We're part of a larger story that is unfolding. And how many of you know God is at work weaving His tapestry? I want to be a part of that story. And I want to know what God is up to. I want to know His Word. I want to know His Spirit. And I want to get about what God is doing in my new identity. This morning we heard from a lady named Judy Bokenfor. She shared so powerfully. And this morning we get to hear in this service, Kareen Sampson. Where are you? Kareen's going to come on. Let's give Kareen a round of applause. Kareen is one of the graduates of the Discipleship School as well. And I asked her a couple of questions and invited her to come and share with us this morning. So, Kareen, thanks so much for coming up and being willing to share with us. I just wanted, to, I wanted Kareen just to give us a, a brief snapshot, just her life in general. It's a very broad question, and then um, we'll keep asking a few more. So thanks, Kareen. Sorry, you get old in your glasses. <clears throat> um, I'm actually going to apologize in advance. I brought tissues, so I know I'm, tears are going to come, so just bear with me. Well, you really can't see anything up here, can you? <laughs> it's the beauty. Oh. That's it. Um, so I grew up in the Reformed Church, which, to their benefit, taught me a lot about the Bible and its, the many stories contained within its pages. However, I always felt lost. Sometimes I felt like I wasn't good enough. Unworthy is always the word that would come to mind when I would describe how I felt. I had a lot of head knowledge, but not a lot of heart knowledge, and if that makes any sense to you. I knew a lot about God, his creation, Jesus, his sacrifice. 
I was never taught anything about the Holy Spirit. He was actually called the Holy Ghost, and that's pretty much what he was, a ghost. Um, for most of my adult life, I went to church only because I didn't want to hear my parents scold me for not going. I'm sure my children can relate. Um, but honestly, I felt quite dead inside. I raised my kids as best I could, bringing them up with the same knowledge that I had. Um, when I fled an abusive relationship, things at the church seemed to go okay for a time. And then after a while, I could start to feel the tension. I could start to feel the tension when I walked into a room or when I tried to speak to someone after church. After all, I was a divorced woman in a Reformed church. Not a good thing. This led me to listen to Satan's words. I was unworthy. I knew in my head that God was with me and that he loved me, but I had no concept of that love. Honestly, I felt unworthy for a very long time. After about five or six years, my daughter Stacy, who's now our children's pastor, bless her heart. Uh, yeah. Uh, after about five or six years, um, about five or six years ago, my daughter Stacy found the Father's House Church, and she says, "Mom, you've got to come check out this church." And honestly, I've never looked back. It was a huge step for me to leave the church. Um, <laughs> One my mother still did never agreed with. And, um, but yeah, here at the Father's House, I started learning a lot of that heart knowledge that I was so desperate to find. Awesome, Kareem. And my question to you, like in light of this value, like how has God's word and spirit kind of helped you on this journey, shaped you? So in discipleship school um, was probably the best decision I ever made. It uh, started off with a bang, to be honest. The first few weeks we talked about God, his creation, the promise of redemption, and then we started to dig deep. We spent hours just talking about the different attributes of God, his glory, his compassion, his sovereignty, his unshakable, unfaltering holiness, his love, his... And I had two very defining moments. This one will be my first. We had a guest speaker, a fusion team from Jamaica, lovely couple. The lady spent one whole night just talking about God's love. She described how God's love was evident in how he created the world. He spoke everything into existence, except man. God took the dirt in his hands, formed him, sculpted Adam, and God took time to form every detail from his feet, his legs, his body, his face, his fingernails, his eyes, ears, mouth, every aspect. And then comes the most intimate moment where God takes Adam's face in his hands, puts his lips on Adam's lips, and breathes life into him. So was the first thing Adam felt? Adam's first thing he felt was probably God's hands on his face. What was the first thing Adam saw? God's face smiling at him because what he had created was so perfect. To know that God loves you and me that much that he carefully knit us together in our mother's wombs, as the psalmist says in 139, 
that we are carefully knit together. We are so loved that God takes time to create and sculpt every single part of us. And then when Adam and Eve mucked up, God was right there to say, it's okay, I'll take care of this for you. Promised us a redeemer. Jesus did more than just die on a cross. He made us in right standing with a glorious and righteous God and showed us on, on earth what a loving and absolutely breathtakingly loving God he is. My second defining moment was our last Saturday together. It was a beautiful day from start to finish. At one point, um, a lady brought clay pots and we had a whole pot we were supposed to talk about or write in the clay pot or on it, a strong word, a positive word. Um, and then inside each clay pot was a broken piece of clay pot. And we were supposed to write on that broken piece of clay pot one of the lies that Satan would always tell, that we always believed. My word was unworthy. We then spent time with God as we thought about that small broken piece. And in the end, we were to leave that broken piece at the cross or in the garbage, break it up. We were not to take it home. During my time with God, I tried to break my small piece, and I could not. So then I said to God, I said, if this is a lie, help me break it. So he did. And it broke into, it broke into two pieces. <laughs> By the time... By this time, our, I'd, and I had tried to break the bigger piece a few more times, but it wouldn't work. So uh, our time with God was done. I quickly put the broken pieces in my clay pot, put it in my bag, went home. Didn't think anything of it until I got home and I took out the clay pot. And I remembered I was supposed to throw these pieces in the garbage. And I looked at them. And the small broken piece says un, and the bigger piece says worthy. So God literally broke it where it says un and worthy. And that, that just speaks. That just speaks about God, how much God loves you. That he would take that unworthiness to create worthiness. Thank you, Kareem. That's beautiful. Well done. Um, would you just quickly tell us just about how you got into DS this year then? So discipleship, so after a couple years of attending the Father's House Church, um, Pastor Peter and his persistence paid off. And I decided it was time for me to be baptized, for me to declare from that point on that I would have a personal relationship with Christ and not just head knowledge. So my desire for more heart knowledge about God is what led me to discipleship school, which almost did not happen. Originally, there was no way, zero way, that I could even financially attend to come to discipleship school, and God literally made a way six hours before the class started. Talk about the 11th hour. As I was preparing for this testimony, um, I looked back at my baptism 
And I'd like to leave you with a Bible verse I quoted at my baptism so many years ago. It's from the Passion Translation. Ephesians 3, verse 17. Then by constantly using your faith, the life of Christ will be released deep inside you, and the resting place of his love will become the very source and root of your life. Thanks, Corrine. Beautiful. Thanks for sharing your story, mate. So good. So good. Hallelujah. That second, that next value, I know it's, it's a third down in the church, but receiving God's grace daily in order to fulfill His eternal purposes. How many of you know we need God's grace every day? That's the why we have the Word of God. That's why we have the Spirit of God. We can access His grace every day and become overcomers because the Spirit's going to remind you that you're not unworthy, that you are worthy. That's what the Spirit does, reminds you of who you are. The next, part, next dimension is that we're committed to community. How many of you know when you step into this big unfolding story of God and you've been changed by His love, He places you in the context of a family? You can't pick your family, can you, sometimes? It's a pretty diverse-looking bunch of peeps out there, I'm not going to lie. Different personalities, different shapes and sizes, we're all very different. But this is the beauty of being part of a discipleship journey, is that you're not alone. You don't do it on your own. You're part of an, a family. You're committed to community. Guys, listen to this. One day, every nation, every tribe, every tongue is going to glorify Jesus. There is going to be every kind of people group. How many of you know we're part of a church that crosses borders, that extends over oceans? We're part of a larger existing church family. We're a diverse community. Judy shared with us in discipleship school, we're like a kaleidoscope. Do you remember those kids' toys? Colors, shapes, and sizes. You look through it, and you get a little image, and you twist it a bit, and then it changes, and you get a different picture. How many of you, that's like our life in community. There are different dimensions. There are different aspects to it, but we're part of a tapestry that God is doing. We need each other for a multitude of reasons, but I'll share this verse, and I'm going to get our next person up. First Peter says this, now you've purified yourself by obeying the truth, so you have now sincere love for one another. So love one another deeply from the heart. Remember, God changes your heart. Your capacity to love people is directly tied to your capacity to know God's love. Good luck trying to exist in community and love one another when you do not have the love of God in your heart. That's a whole other sermon. But my capacity to love you is directly connected to the fact that He changes my heart. And so we love one another. Why? We've been born again. We are a new people, a new creation. We've been born of the Spirit, and we've been born not of a perishable seed, but an imperishable seed. What that means is it will last forever. The seed of faith, the Spirit of God that comes into our life, will never die. It has no death, no destruction, no darkness, no evil, no wrongdoing that exists in it. It's eternal. And you and I have been born of this spiritual reality. So he goes, love one another. Be part of a community, be part of a people where that exists because that is countercultural. That will show the glory of God to a dark and dying world when you and I have the love of God and love one another. I'm going to ask uh, our next person to come up here, Suzanne Grinya. Welcome, Suzanne. <laughs> Suzanne also graduated from discipleship school. I'm so blessed that Suzanne was willing to come and just share a bit of her story here about the importance of community in her life. Why don't you just share, Suzanne, a bit of a snapshot of life. You can use the, you can use the mic. 
So some of you may know that on January 24th of 2020, I suddenly lost my best friend, father of my children, and my husband of only nine months. Shortly thereafter, COVID hit, and things changed very quickly. Our life was flipped upside down. I hadn't realized that I was struggling with feelings of anger about God being unfair. I mean, I knew where God, where Jeff was going, because he loved God, and I knew I would see him again. But deep down, I was angry that God had took him away. I knew he was no longer in pain, but I was selfish. I wanted him here with us. Grief is hard to go through for one person, and then to walk my children through losing their father is a very difficult journey. We had lots of struggles, trials, and a million emotions, and sometimes still do. We still miss him, but I know that he is dancing with Jesus now, something he could not do on earth. My question to you is, we just talking about community, like in this season, how important has community been to you and what's that look like? Uh, community has always been important to me. Even though I had to walk through the grief process alone by myself, I knew I was not walking through it alone. I surrounded myself and my kids with friends and family of all kinds. During the last couple of years, this community, that's you, has rallied alongside us, walked with us, prayed with and for us, encouraged us, and some days held us up when we, or should I say I, could not take another step. There were many times throughout discipleship school that I would show up physically, but emotionally I was drained. I had nothing left to give. I felt as, I, as, though, as though I was drowning some days and my community would reach down and help me up and just sit with me a while as I cried. God showed me that in the storms of life, and there will be many, that he's in the boat with me, probably sleeping, because he's so relaxed. To keep my eyes on the lighthouse, as that was where I needed to go, that was my safety. Not to look around, as I could not see anything around me, and he showed me that I could not handle what lay ahead for me had I even known. So because I didn't know, I could deal with the issues as they came, one at a time. Yeah, Suzanne, thank you. How'd you get involved in DS this year? Am I going to flip the page? Yeah, flip the page. You're still going, sorry. <laughs> I've wanted to go to discipleship school for quite some time, but it just never worked out. God has great timing. This year, everything lined up perfectly so that I could attend. Discipleship School has helped me have a deeper relationship with my God through learning different ways of listening and hearing God speak to me. Through Discipleship School, God has given me another group of people I can call family. Mm -hmm. In the past eight months, God has really taught me to lean into, into him and he blessed us in many ways. As Mrs. Agri says, God loves us widows. We are his favorite. And I am really starting to believe she's right. Amen. Let's give Suzanne a round of applause. Well done. Oh, 
Oh, wow. Powerful stories. I'm going to ask Rachel Fraser to come up because you're going to finish us um, off here, Rachel. I'm just going to share a, a last thought here. But this third dimension of God's discipleship, uh, being, being a disciple in this, in this thing, is that we accept one another in the process of maturity, while we pursue maturity together. Accepting one another. How many of you know we're all on a journey? That's the beauty of community. There's stories like this that exist in this room right now today of the struggles, the trials, the tribulations, but also the overcoming nature of being part of a community where we love one another. The last thought I have for us today is that we're ready for action as disciples, aren't we? Ready to rock and roll? We are here for a reason. When Jesus breathed His Spirit onto His disciples, He says, as I was sent, I'm sending you. It's time to get out of the room and go and be ready for action, to be ready to follow Jesus wherever He would call you. Isaiah says, extend the place of your tent pegs. Stretch them far and wide. Make room. Get ready to go. Extend the curtains. How many of you know that we have a reason for our existence? There's a purpose. It's not just to sit in the room of fear waiting till we get to heaven. Jesus says, now let's get out. It's time to engage the world with the hope-filled story of the good news of Jesus Christ. Why? Because you're full of God's love. You've been changed. You love different things than the world. You love and you are centered. You are, you are at shalom because you are right with God. You've been reconciled, redeemed. You've been set apart for His use. And this is what the Israelites used to do at Passover. Jesus, God said, Tuck your, tuck your cloak in to your belt because you're going to go in haste. You're going to be ready to get up and leave whenever you need. How many of you know, church, it might not be a physical place for you, but how many of you know when we're following Jesus, we're ready for the adventure? Whatever that looks like every single day, God, where do you want me to go? What do you want me to say? What do you want me to do? Living with expectation, full of the hope of Jesus Christ. I'll finish with this verse and I'm going to hand it over to Rachel. But Peter says this, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your heart on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires you used to have when you lived in ignorance, but you've been changed by God's love. So as he who is called holy, you be called holy in all you do. Holiness means to be set apart by God for a special use, but set apart to God for his special use. You're not just pushed to the side, you're set apart, but you're set apart to God. That's a dimension of our discipleship. And the church says we're going to engage the world, engaging our world and equipping others to be disciples who care, to equip one another to care. And I'm going to invite Rachel right now to come and share. Rachel is one of our graduates as well. And as you can see, a young woman who's just trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. And I'm going to just share with you, church, we've got some hope for the next generation We've got a new generation coming up who are going to wrestle with faith to follow Jesus and be the light to the world. No pressure. But um, I'm going to get Rachel to come over and you share, mate, and just share us a little bit of what's been happening in your life, some of the struggles and challenges being a young woman. Um, yeah, so um, writing this, I felt like I had two main struggles. Um, so the first one I felt was pressure. So my whole life growing up, I have been a Christian. I went to a private school, and I guess you could say I was pretty sheltered and pretty innocent. Um, in grade eight, I decided that I wanted to change things up and I did online school for two years. Um, you know, that got pretty lonely because I had like three hours of school a day and if you know me, I rush through everything and I just want to get it done. But I also hate staying at home doing nothing, so I had to be out all the time. I then decided that for my last three years, I wanted to attend MCHS. And me being this little church girl, didn't really know what I was in for. 
Um, but when I went, I pretty much knew everyone there because I danced with some of them, I played soccer with some of them, and some of them I knew from church. And I feel like that's kind of where the pressure came in was um, when I started going to a public school. Um, you know, getting people to like me, dressing how they did, talking how they did, acting how they did. I just wanted to fit in and feel like I was part of the group. Um, and that's where the other struggle came in, and that was balance. Growing up in the church, you know, with my uncle being the pastor and my dad being an elder and my mom being this great prayer warrior, I felt like I had a lot of expectation on me to always attend church events and, you know, be this perfect little Christian girl. Um, I often felt like I was living in two different people's lives. You know, my church life on one side and um, my worldly life on the other side just felt like I was in this little tug of war. Um, so I guess the biggest struggle with me would be figuring out who I am for myself and in Christ and not letting other people tell me who I am or who I'm supposed to be. Yeah, awesome, Rach. And so how has God spoken to you about who you are to be in this world? Yeah, um, so I feel like he's always called me to be set apart. Um, even though I'm a very big person or a people pleaser, um, I do have my limits. Um, in high school, everyone pretty much knew I was a Christian. I wasn't like very shy about it, but I wasn't proclaiming it to everybody. Um, I feel like in high school, it's all about like partying and going and doing stupid stuff. I never went to a high school party and um, didn't join in most of their stupid things. <laughs> um, I feel like God has really been challenging me to put my two worlds together, like my friend world and my church world, as I have all my friends here today, and um, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Um, so like I said, I don't really party, don't really drink, don't really do any of that. Like every now and then I'll have a drink or so. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> um, I woke up one night, I was sleeping, sound asleep, such a good sleep, woke up at 2 a.m. exactly. And I never really go on my phone when I wake up, but for some reason I did. And I don't remember if my Bible app was open or if I opened it, but I remember seeing it just scrolled down to this verse, and it's actually the verse that Maddie just shared. Um, but it's 1 Peter 1, 13 to 16, and it says, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed as coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires as you had when you were living in ignorance. Just as, though, just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Um, yeah, so I really feel like um, he's calling me to be obedient and not only just to listen to him, but to take action of what he's telling me. And I feel like just to be set apart and to be that example for him. Good on you, mate. And uh, finally, how did you get involved in DS? Um, so as many as you know, I have a couple siblings um, and they all attended DS. So for my parents, it was like, oh yeah, you're going to DS, we'll sign you up. I was like, haha, no. <laughs> I was like, you know what, I'm, I'm too busy this year, like, maybe we'll do it another year. And my dad's like, no, nah, you're going. But then my mom said that I could think about it and pray about it, so <laughs> that's what I did. <laughs> now, at this point, I kind of set my mind on, yeah, I'm not going, like, working two jobs, I'm dancing, I'm playing soccer, like, it's just not happening. Now, DS just happened to be on Wednesday night and Saturday morning, when I tell you these are the only two times I had free in my week. I'm not exaggerating, but I still wanted to pray about it because I was like, no, it's not happening. I'm going to read you um, when I was praying to God what I felt he said to me. 
gonna try my best not to cry in this service because, yeah. Okay, so <laughs> said, you and I both know what you are able of. I want you to do MDS, go every day with a smile and a heart that wants to learn. I will reveal to you so many things and answers to questions you didn't even know you could ask. Things may not come easy and you may be scared, but my dear, I will be with you every step of the way. I want you to grow so much and have such a heart for your Lord. People on the outside are gonna look at you and see what special thing you have. They're gonna ask questions and with the training that you will be given, you'll be able to answer all the questions you'll need to save them from the darkest places of this world. My dear, I want you to be one of the bright lights that scares away the darkest of places. So of course I asked him a question after this. I said, where does the light come from and where does the darkness go? Because have you ever thought about when a light gets turned off, like where does the darkness go, it just disappears. He said, the light comes from me. Without me by your side, you will have no light. The darkness then goes into another place to hide and the darkness will not go away until everything is lit. And my dear, I want you to start a fire. So I felt like with that, I had to go to DS at that <laughs> point. It was just kind of a given. And I'm really glad I did because Maddie and Ashley did such an amazing job in leading and now I'm left with what's next, Papa. Awesome, Rachel. Let's give her a round of applause. Well done. Thanks, buddy. Fantastic. Well, I'm going to ask the band to return. Church, you've done such a great job being present to today. Thank you. I know it was a little longer, but have you enjoyed the testimonies today? Heard a little bit of the story of what God's doing in our life? And so, just as a final uh, symbolic act, you know, as we conclude discipleship school, we graduated yesterday after an eight-month journey, and it was a celebration. And how many of you know discipleship still ge- keeps going? You know, it's just part of following the way of Jesus. And so, one of the things we did yesterday, and I'm going to ask anyone who's here today, I know there was some in the 9 a.m., anyone here right now who was in discipleship school, would you just stand so we can just get a visual of who was part of that? Not everyone was able to attend. Delaney, you're up the back there, awesome. And then a few, Janita, Abigail, Tamara. Let's give them a round of applause, guys, just for their faith in committing to this process. And... Uh, I love how Jesus would often just uh, make physical a spiritual reality, a spiritual truth. He would place in the physical dimension for us to understand. And one of the acts that he did uh, before he went to the cross was he took off his outer garment at a meal and he got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. So these guys were awarded a certificate yesterday, just naming the journey. But the real certificate they got was a Walmart hand cloth wrapped in a purple ribbon, symbolically representing the call to the life of a believer. It's to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. Because how will they know? How will they know? But you and I have this great commissioning call to take up our washcloth and to go, to be sent, full of the love of God, hungering and thirsting for His truth, knowing our identity receiving His grace every single day and being part of a community of people where we practice who we're becoming week in, week out as a foretaste of eternity and then to go out and engage our world with this handcloth to go and wash feet, to go and serve, to give away what God has given us, to put it to work so that God would be glorified. And so symbolically, I commission our discipleship school students and also you, church, with this handcloth as a symbol. So I'm going to ask you all to stand right now. We're going to pray. And we're going to sing. You've been sitting a long time. We're going to invite you to close your eyes right now. There's a couple of things I just want to invite you to consider before we go today. 
The first one is this. There are four dimensions we looked at. But today, if you are standing here in this room and you're being stirred up in faith because you have lost the love of God, maybe God is an intellectual reality to you now, but that transforming love, you're wondering where it went. Maybe you need a move of the Spirit on your heart to be filled with His love again. You've been loving the wrong things. If that's you today, as an act of worship, just raise your arms in the air. Maybe you just want to meet God and have His love come rushing into your heart to change you again, to be a people that have the love of God. If that's you, just raise your hand today. It doesn't matter if you're a believer or not. Wherever you are, many hands. If today you are stirred up with a hunger and thirst for truth, Maybe you've forgotten who you are in Christ. You feel worthless. You're walking around. You don't know. But how many of you know we learned today that the Spirit of God reminds us of who we are. We are a people chosen, redeemed, set apart. If you need an encounter with His Word again and you want to hunger after His Word, just in worship, raise your hand this morning just to show that, God, I am serious. I need to know Your Word and know Your truth. The third dimension, if you've been in walking in offense in the community, if you've disconnected from the body, if you feel unworthy to belong, how many of you know you're part of a global story of God's people? You belong. So if you want to be reminded today of God's love for you in community, raise your hands as an act of worship to receive from God this morning. Lastly, if you've been shrinking back from your faith, you've been just going through the motions, spending your money, buying your toys, but you've forgotten what it means to be engaging the world with the love of God, interacting with the world, desiring that the world would know Jesus Christ. If you've shrunk back today and you're ready to go into the action that God has for you, raise your hands today as a symbol of worship that you're ready to go and, and do what Jesus has asked you to do. Hallelujah. I'm going to pray for that this morning. But finally, if you've never encountered the love of God, your Buzz Lightyear, you're walking around and all of a sudden you're realizing how disillusioning life is and how hard it is to do it on your own. And God's just standing there saying, come on, it's time to come home. If you're ready to make a decision like I did when I was 21, I needed, a, I needed hope. And if that's you today, you need hope and you're wanting to say yes to the love of God, to be changed, transformed and put on purpose. If that's you today, raise your hand high so I can pray for you this morning that you want to receive the love of God and come into the family of God and know you have an eternal destination. If that's you today, raise your hands high. Hallelujah, many hands. Let's celebrate with God today that He is at work. He is changing hearts. He's the same today, yesterday and forever. Let's pray together as a church. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the love that you poured out. Not my own doing, but yours. Thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ, where there is redemption and forgiveness of sin. And thank you for the sending call that you give to each and every one of us to go and make disciples and live a life of hope. Flood my heart with your love, Jesus. Change my life and give me a new destiny. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah, church. Let's sing. And if you need prayer, you go to the cross to pray.